We are gonna turn to God's word today and be reminded that we have a God of life. And by way of doing that, we're gonna watch a little video. It's a a neat animated video from the Bible Project, our friends there. If you're not familiar with the Bible Project, we encourage you uh, to uh, tune in with them. They're doing some fantastic work. This will be by way of some transition. So kids, you can move to the back tables and find your bag if you decorated it last week for your egg hunt. And you can add to it if you want. And if you weren't here last week, find a blank bag and put your name on it at least. Maybe some stickers or some pictures. You have about a six-minute video. And then from there, you'll go with uh, Miss Lauren and Miss Kathy to your class and lesson and then a little egg hunt. And then you'll join us again, hopefully, for singing and communion together as we can conclude. So uh, let's tune in the video, please. If you know very much about the story of the Bible... You've probably heard that Jesus offers eternal life. Sounds nice, but what does Jesus mean by eternal life? Well, Jesus adopted this phrase from the Hebrew scriptures. In English, it's translated eternal life or sometimes everlasting life. But the phrase literally translated from Hebrew is life unto the age. Life unto the age. What does that mean? Yeah, it's a dense phrase. And to understand it, we need to first talk about what an age is in the Bible. Let's do it. So the Hebrew word for age is olam, and it refers to a period of time. What length of time? Well, any length of time, actually. And it can be in the past or in the future. What matters is that it's a period of time with some common attribute that remains constant. So, for example? So, like the time of Abraham and his descendants all the way up to Moses. The common attribute is it's the time of Moses' ancestors. And so Moses can say, remember the days of the age, the years of past generations and elders. Okay. Or an age can be shorter and in the future. Like Samuel, who's going to spend his whole life serving in the temple. During his dedication, his mother Hannah calls this an age. So an age is a period of time that has a unique and constant characteristic. Exactly. And there can be all sorts of different ages, depending on what you want to focus on. You got it. And so someone could live in two ages at the same time if those ages happen to overlap. All right, so back to the phrase, life unto the age. What age is this talking about? Okay, so in the beginning of the biblical story, humans are made from the dust of the ground. This is a common biblical image for creatures that are mortal. That is, they live in an age where they could die. But God takes humanity and places them in a sacred garden where they're invited to experience a new and deeper kind of life. By eating from the tree of life. Yeah, we're told it offers them life unto the age, a life of infinite potential because it connects them to God's own divine life. But the story takes a turn. And instead of accepting life unto the age, they eat of the tree of knowing good and bad. Right. Taking from this tree means seizing life for themselves on their own terms, apart from God's wisdom. And so they're exiled from life unto the age, and they go into the age of death. They mistreat each other. They do what's right in their own eyes. Things get really violent. Exactly. And so the whole rest of the story of the Bible can be thought of as a choice between two different ages. The age of life on our own terms that leads to death, or the age of God's own life. And while humanity has rejected God's life, God promises he'll open the way back. Exactly. And it's that promise that ultimately leads the story to Jesus. He's presented as God's own life become human, so that both ages overlap in him. 
He lives in the age of mortality and death and in the age of eternal life at the same time. And so he can offer people access to life unto the age. Right. It's like what Jesus says in the Gospel of John. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Yet, just like humanity rejected God's life in the garden, Jesus was rejected and put to death. But God's life is more powerful than death. And so Jesus rises from the dead, and he can offer God's life to others. Like the Gospel of John also says, Whoever trusts in him will not perish, but has eternal life. That is, life unto the age. Cool. Now, most people think of eternal life as something that happens after you die. But in the Bible, access to this age is something I can have right now. Yeah, remember, Jesus was the place where the age of God's life meets the age of death. And that means that when people trust him, they can experience eternal life here and now. But we also still live in the age of death. So what happens when I die? Well, just like death couldn't overpower God's eternal life in Jesus, similarly, we can remain alive to God even if we're physically dead. In the Bible, this is called being with Christ. And it's not talked about very much because it's not how the overall biblical story ends. The focus of the Bible is about when the age of life completely overcomes the age of death. And those who are with Christ are recreated to share in God's eternal life. A world where the age of death no longer has any power. Exactly. Because life that is fully connected to God's own eternal life and love is a life that will never end. Man, those guys can teach it. Hopefully I can preach it. Eternal life. Do you, do you believe it, that we have a God that is all-powerful and all-good, who desires we would know him, dwell with him, and his promise is to restore all things to their rightful state. Where pain and death, or hurt and division do not have the last word. God is the last word. For to him all are alive. He is the God of the living, the God of life. This is what Jesus reveals in his word, through his life, and through his resurrection. It's all about Jesus, especially on Easter Sunday. So this morning, I, I will walk us through a promise from Jesus, a question from Jesus, a lesson from Jesus, a testimony about Jesus, and a vision of being with Jesus. And you say, that's five messages. Come on. More like patches to a quilt that I hope to sew together to make something useful. We'll move fairly quickly through these, so stay tuned. The scripture should be there on the screen if you want to follow along, either in Bibles that are here on the, on the sides or in your devices. Uh, you can certainly follow along and not check the master's update. No? No one? Yeah, if you were in tune with that, you would not be here probably, so good luck to all. Be safe. First, let's pause and reflect. Let's enter into this space. I know Easter can be full, and who knows how you entered in. Maybe your morning, like ours, was, had, had things added, added unto it um, with egg hunts and baskets and other activities and preparations for later. Maybe that was your morning. So let's pause for just a moment. 
consider how you enter into this space. Maybe everything up to this point was, was, was a lot. And maybe you did come in celebratory and hope-filled and looking forward to singing like we have. Others I know have come in in a frantic state, a, a heavy state. So I recognize that's what it means to be a family as we come together, to rejoice with those who rejoice, to grieve and mourn with those who grieve and mourn. So just pause and take inventory for a moment. And maybe your inventory goes beyond just today or this week, but as we reflect on the past year, sometimes these kinds of holidays or markers are a chance to reflect, and this year is not what it was last year, or it's simply a reminder of memories, celebrations, Easter at grandma's or at mom's that will not return. And so there is a mix of, of heaviness with, with the celebration, with the many things to be grateful for. So just take inventory. Have you experienced any pain or sorrow or grief or loss or turmoil in these past few years? Understatement? Are we done? Is there more? And for some of you, much more recently and much more acutely, that would be a true yes. Do you feel the world as a whole is, is broken, is hurting, is in pain? Do we struggle sometimes with where to find hope? When we see a video like this, we might say, yeah, that's nice, I don't feel it. Jesus, if you've done that, it's not my present experience. Jesus does say that there is a reason that we feel this way, as was somewhat presented, but it's much deeper in the pages of Scripture, but we saw it on the video, that there is a, there's a reason for the brokenness. But it's not, it's not just bad decisions that we tend to make or that people make, that there's actually an oppression against God's humanity, against God's goodness, against His grace. It's named in various ways throughout the Scripture, Jesus names it as an enemy, an adversary. It's sometimes called a devil. In, a, in one of his famous parables where he describes himself as a good shepherd, we like sheep who need a shepherd to protect and to guard, to lead, to provide for and to care for. That's, those are images that are used often uh, by Jesus speaking into his world. He declares that there's actually an enemy against, but he calls him a thief. There's a thief or a robber against God's people. And he says in John 10, 10, that the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. And that this is a supernatural force or being against God and his goodness and his creation and his kingdom. Do we not feel that? This is actually good news. It means we're not crazy. When we look into our world and we say, this is more than simply people making bad choices. That's true, and we have done that. But there's something greater inspiring this. There must be if we, if we are coming to believe that there is a God who has created a world to flourish and for us as his children to live in it forever. There's an adversary. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. The amazing promise, I said there would be a promise. The promise of Jesus is that he sees that, knows that, and so does, it, so does our God. And so he's done something about it. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but, there's a second half to that verse, but I have come that you might have life and life abundantly, life to the full. This is a parallel synonym of life to the age, e eternal life. 
And I love how that video portrays it. It's not just a someday life then that we can hope for, though that is, that is true. We're longing for something that is not in our present reality, God's kingdom come in fullness, but it is a now. It's an overlap. And it means that we can begin living in God's kingdom now. That's life to the full. That's the amazing promise. God will bring this life, even through death, because God is the God of the living. For to God all are alive. This is the amazing promise. Number two, a question from Jesus. The question is, do you believe it? He'll say it with those words. We get to the core of the gospel, which means good news, when it truly sounds like good news. That we hesitate, we might even say, that's too good to believe. That's too good to be true. Now we're at the core of the gospel, when we've come to that point. If it doesn't sound like good news, it's been twisted. It's been abused. It's not the core message of a good and loving God. It must sound like good news. This video should have sounded like good news. There's, there's heart in it. There's bad, there's bad news in it. There's reality in it. But there's incredible promise and incredible hope. More from Jesus. In a story from John chapter 11, Jesus is good friends, Mary and Martha and Lazarus. They were brothers and sis- brother and sisters, and they did some ministry with Jesus. Well, Lazarus fell ill and was about to die, and Jesus was in another town. And so they sent word, um, probably direct message or, or, or text message to Jesus, because he wasn't answering, Lazarus is ill, we need you, Jesus. Come. And they had known and seen or at least had heard that Jesus was, was healing people miraculously. All over, everywhere that he went, Jesus, come, Lazarus is ill to the point of, we know you're on an important mission, but like to the point of death, Jesus, come. And Jesus didn't. He waited. It's It's an incredible story. It's a poignant story. And Lazarus died. And then Jesus came. And and Martha, sister of Lazarus, in her grief, in her, you have to imagine, uncertainty, question, maybe even hurt and betrayal. Jesus, had you been here, he would have lived. You could have healed him. Those were her very words in, in John 11. Anyone who has prayed for a loved one who is sick and dying and seen that loved one die knows exactly what Mary and Martha were feeling. Jesus, you could have. You could have healed. At least I thought you could have. Now you wonder where your faith is. Who is this God? You're in good company with those kinds of prayers. They're very biblical. So John 11, verse 21. Lord, Jesus, Martha says, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Deep breath, I think. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answers, I know he will rise again in the resurrection, on the last day. So she has heard this teaching from Jesus of more than just the now life, but this forever life, and, and, and is proclaiming that she believes it. I believe it. And that's where her hope is. And for those that have seen loved ones die in, in faith, or whatever your faith level is, this hope that, do they still live? Could they? Could they? May we see them again? She's proclaiming she believes it. Jesus says something incredible. He says, he doesn't correct or or affirm her really in the same way. He says, I am 
the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will live, even if they die. Whoever lives and believes in me will never die. And then this question that comes to us, do you believe this? Do you believe this, Martha? She had just said she did. But he's saying more, like we saw in the video. There's an overlap. It's not just the hope for then for Lazarus. It's the hope for right now. That you can have life here now. Now, Jesus would go to the grave and call out Lazarus and rise him from the dead as a sign of what was to come. Not just his own resurrection, which everyone tended to quickly forget, but the sign of all who would die and go to the grave will rise again. Maybe not in the way that Lazarus did. It's a powerful sign. But this is the invitation and the question that comes to all people at all times if we receive it. Do you believe this? This is the question of Jesus. Not just some pastor preaching a message in a small church on the corner in Redmond. These are the questions of Jesus. Do you believe this? And it comes to us today. For guests with us today, one of our favorite prayers at Union Hill Church is a really unknown prayer. It's a very short prayer in Mark chapter 9 from an unnamed father of a son who was in incredible distress and hurt. He believed at that time that he was tormented by a demon. We're not sure ultimately what that means in that, but his context was my son is in complete distress. For anyone that has known those in extreme distress or pain or mental illness, maybe we would get close to understanding. And the father has no answer. The medical professionals of the day have no answer. And so he comes to Jesus as a last hope and he says, Jesus, if you could do anything, take pity on us. At this point, he's not even praying for his healing or deliverance. Maybe he's already prayed those prayers and they haven't been answered, but he's coming to Jesus, and he says, if you can do anything, have, have pity. What could that have meant? What's the breadth of that from Jesus? Take him, end it, have pity, mercy, Lord. And Jesus' response to him in Mark chapter 9, 23, he says, if you can, if, if I can, everything is possible for those who believe. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, and here's the prayer, I do believe. Help me in my unbelief. It's one of our favorite prayers, I think, for a reason. I hope you would resonate with that. Do you pray like that? It's okay. You're in good biblical company. I, I believe. I believe, Jesus. And maybe you have moments where that feels strong. But help me in my unbelief. Help me in my doubt. It's still there. It's very real. It's very poignant. Now, Jesus answers it in a miraculous way here. It means he can. And for this father, he does. He welcomes that prayer. And he answers it and he delivers his son and he heals him as he did for all who came to him at that time in his life and ministry. So I believe he asks us the same question he asked Martha. Do you believe? Do you believe this promise of life to the full? Not just the someday, but that's big. But the now, that we can enter into it now. Do you believe? And maybe our response is similar to this prayer of this father. I believe, or I want to believe. Help my unbelief. And Jesus welcomes that prayer. A promise, a question, a lesson from Jesus. A few weeks ago, I preached on, I think, one of the most important passages in all of Scripture for the Hebrew people and for Christians, Exodus chapter 3. It's the account where Moses comes to this burning bush and meets with God, and it was a a holy moment and a life-changing moment. God 
commissioned Moses, called him to go and deliver his people who were enslaved in Egypt for hundreds of years. Some of you may be familiar with that story. It's a pretty well-known story and proclaimed story. But in that, in that moment, Moses has his reservations, as we probably would too, if God showed up in that way or reordered our life or called us to something totally new. And so he has all these questions for God, and one of them is simply, who are you? <laughs> who are you, God? Maybe I thought I knew or I had this faith, but now I'm, I'm encountering something totally different. We've probably been there too. Who are you, God? Maybe in times of incredible blessing or abundance, maybe in times of, of new, a newfound knowledge or understanding, or maybe in times of incredible hardship or hurt. God, who are you? And Moses asks that to, the burning, to the, this voice out of the burning bush, how God shows up. And God simply says four letters in the Hebrew. We don't even know how it was pronounced. It's been tried to be pronounced in, in, in many ways, and we probably have landed on the most common pronunciation of these four letters being Yahweh. Yahweh. I am Yahweh, or simply Yahweh. That's, I am who I am. I will be who I will be, is the translation of these four letters. That's how God proclaims it, simple yet powerful. I am who I am. I will be who I will be. It's a constant. It's a forever. This is our forever God. Now, this is an incredibly rich and deep passage. I've worked through it a little bit in our journey through Exodus that we've been walking through, and we'll continue to walk through in the weeks ahead if you would like to join us. But what I want to point out, one thing, back to this lesson from Jesus. Jesus comments on this account in Exodus 3 and says something incredible about it that most people would miss otherwise. He says, here's the primary meaning of this passage. The most important part of this passage is about eternal life, about resurrection life, about life after death, which is astonishing. Because God only says to Moses, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Those were the patriarchs in, in Hebrew history. I am this God. I am the God of the living. And Jesus picks up on this in Luke chapter 20, verse 37, and he says this, in the account of the bush, even Moses showed that the dead rise. It would have been an astonishing claim. That's not the primary primary message of this passage for most Hebrews. But Jesus, a Hebrew, a Jew, says here's the, core, here's the core of it. For Moses calls the Lord God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. For to him all are alive. This is an incredible statement. What Jesus was saying was, it was it's plain on the pages of Scripture, you just may not have seen it. And Jesus has the authority to point to the, the true reality of the Hebrew Scriptures and to teach them in light of who God is and who he is with this authority. He says, this is the core. For, for the, this God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. For to him, all are alive. These are the words of Jesus. The theme of resurrection, life after death, was not very consistent or overt on the pages of the Hebrew Scriptures. And so it makes sense that many did not believe much in the afterlife. But simply you die and went into Sheol, went into the, you go into the grave, maybe return to the ancestors, but there's really not much. Jesus says, this is what it's all about. It's on the pages of, 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 of every story. This is the big story. 
that God is eternal and he's made us to be with him forever. And when we start to see the scriptures with our eyes open, as Jesus wants us to, to open our eyes to them, as we see in this video, that we see the whole story of God as the powerful, good creator God who longs to dwell with his creation forever and has promised to restore all things to their rightful place, that death is not the end. Death and decay do not get the last word. God is the last word, the God of life. If we can read scriptures like Jesus teaches us to read scripture, we'll begin to see this life and resurrection power on just about every page. Even beyond the scriptures, we see in our creation this theme. God has embedded it into, really, this season where life comes out of what looks dead. Think about the branches in, on the trees in some of your yards of these deciduous trees or the crocus. I love the crocus because the crocus is often the, the one pushing up that new green shoot in the midst of the frozen earth or the frost or the snow on the ground. I love taking pictures of that in the early spring, often even in February where you see new life coming in, up through the snowy frozen earth. I love that. I love the magnolia. Right now they're on full bloom. Because the magnolia pushes out these beautiful white flowers off of sticks. Like before the leaves even come, the flower blooms. And it's just this sign that life wins, that life renews, that it comes back through what looks like death, through barren seasons. There's a reason God gave us the seasons. And we're supposed to notice that. It's, it's the reason that the Apostle Paul could say in Romans 1.20, ever since the creation of the world, God's eternal power and divine nature his character, his, his, his being, invisible though they are, have been understood and seen through the things that are made. We can observe this theme of life through death even in just his creation. That's what Paul is saying. Even without the words of the scripture or the histories that we have, we can notice, we're meant to notice who our God is. Take notice. Jesus, open our eyes. God, help us see. Let me quickly just sketch how we see the theme of life through death run through Scripture, and I'll point to Jesus. First, in the creation story itself, God springs forth life through his word out of nothingness, out of barrenness. He simply brings forth life. That's the picture of his creation. The flood narrative in Genesis 6, tragic story. But as a meta-narrative, God brings life through death. He preserves, he saves, he renews. And Noah and his family become the symbol of hope. The olive branch that's brought back by the dove saying life has won. Life wins through death is a picture of resurrection. God brought forth life to Abraham and Sarah, the ancient patriarchs, when they were 99 and 90, as good as dead, from a barren womb. God brings forth life where there was no life, and he does it, this again through Rachel, one of the, uh, the, the ancestors' wives of the 12 tribes of Israel. It's a theme that continues to run. Many of the prophets use resurrection language in various forms. Ezekiel 35, God will give you a heart of flesh in place of your heart of stone. He will breathe life into like dry bones in the valley, and they will rise again. These themes do run through Scripture. Maybe they're not as overt, but as we start to see Scripture the way Jesus wants us to open our eyes and see them, we'll see it on every page. The Passover lamb, which has just been celebrated by our Jewish brothers and sisters, and we recognize right around this time, Monday, Thursday, coming into Holy Week, 
The Passover lamb, a lamb dies, an innocent one dies. Blood is shed for the life of all who believe. God will save and deliver. And the whole sacrificial system that runs through much of the pages of Hebrew scripture, first in the tabernacle, then in the temple, where animals, innocent animals, are are slain, are sacrificed. The blood is shed for life of those who offer. That picture and that image of resurrection life and resurrection power runs through the pages of Scripture. And the picture of the Passover lamb and the sacrificial lamb are the preeminent images of Jesus on the cross. The blood of the Passover lamb was to be put on the door frame of everyone's house and on the sides of the door that all under it in that house would be passed over, would be spared, would be given life as Jesus hung on the cross and blood dripped from his sides and his head. He is the picture of the lamb. And all under him, all who come under him, look to him and believe are passed over in death and given life. That's the picture, and Jesus brings it together in power, and we celebrate him today. The resurrection God. It's not just what he does, but who he is through and through. Life wins. Life forever. For unto our God all are alive. Those who have passed and those who are still breathing, all are alive. Incredible lesson. Now a testimony about Jesus. Let's look to the morning of his resurrection and then the words of the Apostle Paul as we move toward the end. Let's get there. A testimony about Jesus. Luke 24, on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, this is after Jesus had been crucified and laid in the tomb, the women took spices which they had prepared and they went to the tomb, but they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. When they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And while they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Verse 11, so they left the tomb and rushed to tell all of the disciples and all the others what they had experienced. A testimony about Jesus. Amazing. I wish I could preach this part, because and I have. It is amazing that God chooses the lowly. Women who would not even be, their testimony in the legal system of the day had no weight. That's how oppressed they were. And God says, nope, this is how I want to announce it. These were some of my most faithful. They get to be the first to proclaim who I am and that I have risen. Love it. Paul, the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, this powerful passage about the resurrection Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel that I preached, which you received and which you have taken your stand. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. So even Paul looked back to the whole story and said, it's being fulfilled in Jesus, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter and then the 12. And after that, he appeared to more than 500 brothers and sisters at one time, most of whom are still living. Go and ask them is like what he's inviting us to. Not not us, but those first hearers. Then, last of all, he appeared to James and the other apostles and then even to me. If it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? 
See, some are simply saying, okay, uh, we can't explain it. Maybe Jesus did rise. There's so much testimony about it. still uncertain. And the scriptures are very clear, and I love their transparency. Some doubted. Many doubted. Even those that saw Jesus wondered. It was not usual, right? It was not usual. But perhaps our life is linked with his. Paul says, if it's preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say there's no resurrection for us? There's, there's life forever. For if only in this life we have hope in Christ, we should be pitied beyond all people. It means so much more. Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. See, according to Paul, and by the faith of these first eyewitnesses and their testimonies, either Jesus rose from the dead or nothing else matters. Either this is who our God is and always has been, not just what he does, but who he is and who we are in him, or we are to be pitied for this faith. But if he has risen, it changes everything for now and forever. We stand on the testimonies of these eyewitnesses who believed, who gave their life, many of them, to proclaim the hope of this gospel, which was a heretical proclamation in that day, punishable at times of death. Jesus conquers this death, leaving nothing to fear. We not only believe in the resurrection of Jesus or are coming to believe it, maybe every day coming to renew our belief in it, we believe in a resurrection God. Not only is this what he does, but who he is. The God of the living, the God of eternal life, the forever life that begins now or can begin now as we enter into his life and renew in him that faith. Let's finish with a vision of being with Jesus. We've had a promise, a question, a lesson, a testimony, and now a vision. See patchwork to a quilt coming together. May it be useful. Some of the final words or images in all of the scriptures in Revelation chapter 21 and 22. It's how the whole story ends. It's a vision that the apostle John proclaims of seeing what will be one day as God's kingdom fully comes. The apostle Paul, the apostle John says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And I heard a loud voice saying, see, the dwelling of God is with all people. He will dwell with them as their God. They will be his people and God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eye. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more for the first things have passed away. And the one who was seated on the throne, that's Jesus, says, see, I am making all things new. In the present tense, I am making all things new so that we who hear can claim and hold to that promise. It is done, Jesus says, it is done. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water as a gift from the spring of the water of life. Are you thirsty this morning? And ending in 22, verse 17 of Revelation, let everyone who is thirsty come. Let anyone who wishes take the water of life as a gift, a free gift. Living as resurrection people means we live with a hope and a joy and a peace that this world is languishing without. Maybe we feel languishing without it. God, renew our faith. We believe. Help us in our unbelief. 
Let us see the fruit of your spirit in us, this hope, this joy, this peace. The hope of the, the, the not just the one day, but the now, that we could actually find life abundantly. Now, that may look different than what we think it means, but it is God's heart for his children. Life abundantly now. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that you might have life and life to the full now and beyond forever. We live with this hope and this joy, not just in the age to come will be joy, but this joy because there is no more fear in death. If death has been conquered, what else is there to fear? If we will live forever with our God, what else is there? This life is but a mist. And while it's to be received and enjoyed and to respond with gratitude and grace, even in pain and trials, because it is a blip. And for unto our God, all are alive. My hope is in that promise of Jesus. That's how he interprets eternity. He didn't talk there about how you lived this life or how strong your faith is or what you did. He says, because of who God is, to him all are alive. I leave that in his hands. But that gives me incredible hope and joy for my loved ones. Celebrated three years of my dad's passing yesterday. Three years, it's hard to believe. And I said celebrate for a reason. Because those final days at his deathbed, he, he lived for eight days without food or water. Holding on to this life and we kept saying, Dad, it's okay. Well, he had no response to us. Dad, it's okay. And every time I left that, that bedside, I said, Dad, I'll see you soon. And for eight days, that meant tomorrow as I came every day. But, on that last, but what I really meant every day and to that last day was, I'll see you soon. This life is quick. That is where I'm clinging to this hope and this faith. And I've had that peace ever since. That's not a choice. That's a reception. Receive that peace. And I know many of you have walked through the loss of parents, even recently within these last days and years. Receive this peace. It is a gift for all who are thirsty. Make it be this kind of thirst. I thirst for this. I thirst to cling for something. We will all believe. We will all believe in something. I'm clinging to this, God. My prayer today is, whew, I believe. Help my unbelief. It's there and it's welcomed. That prayer is so welcome. And we live with this peace that is a gift. The Hebrews called it shalom. Shalom. Because we have a God of life. A God who offers life to the age. Life eternal. Does it sound too good to be true? I'm with you. That's the right place to be. That's the gospel. And you are invited to receive it today. Maybe it's the first time my guess is in a room like this, that's possible that you would be in a place, someone would be in a place and say, I don't think I've ever received that. I've never felt like I had enough faith. It's not about that, hear me. It's about receiving. Jesus said to his disciples first, come follow me. He didn't say, I need to teach you everything and find out if you're worthy and you, you believe enough. He says, come follow me. Come watch, come be with. And he says that to all who would like to follow him. Come to the table today as a tangible welcoming because he welcomes all to his table. Come and receive. Whether you feel like the faith is this or you feel like it's pretty strong today, we know it can waver. Come to the table. First time, thousandth time, be reminded 
be responsive to this invitation of the God unto the age, the God of the living, the God that has woven resurrection power into all things and it's proclaimed in and through Jesus in an incredible way. Today, that cross is empty and so is the tomb as he invites us to this abundant life. Invite the team to come and prepare to make this space as we sing. It is celebratory. And I see some tears, and I'm with you as I continue to grieve. You feel this. You feel this heaviness. Stay in that space if you need to. Let those who stand and proclaim, either through the tears or in joy, joy of the hope of life and life unto the age, Invite God's presence in. I invite it for you. And then come when you are ready. This is a regular rhythm for us. The first Sunday of the month, we pause and we take it all together because we do want to be all together. The other Sundays, and like this Sunday, if you would like, come to the table. Come and receive. It's gluten-free. It's vegan. We want the, the, the wafer, the bread, because we want all to know they can come. There's elements there on that back table too. That's closer for a number of you. At any point as we sing, come and receive. Jesus invited his disciples and broke the bread and shared it and said, this is my body broken for you, and gave the cup and said, this is, this is the, the new covenant in my blood. This was before his crucifixion and resurrection.